This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Hello and welcome to MS Momentum, the radio show for people with MS, their family, whānau and support team. And this week's very special guest star is Dr. Uh, Mr John Mottishead, neurologist. You're Dr John, we had a discussion about whether you were doctor or mister. Yeah, um, most medical specialists are called doctor, whereas oh. surgical ones are called mister or mers or missus. Oh right, that was that was the issue then, the fact that I you're not you are not a surgeon. No. Oh, okay. Right. Okay, so hello John, Dr John, and um, welcome. Now you have a special interest in MS, I have read. That's correct, yep. So uh, you've worked with, have you worked with clinical trials, around clinical trials for medications? Over the years I have, and we still do have some involvement in Southern DHB with MS trials. Is there, um, can our client, can my our clients, mutual clients, can they access those trials just through the MSNZ website? I'm not sure. We tend to have quite a good database of people with MS in our region and we we look through that and contact people who we think might be um, eligible when a clinical trial opportunity comes up. Okay, so you actually contact people if you think they fit the criteria because that's the hard thing if people don't fit the criteria in there. They think they can engage. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we contact people who we think may be eligible Excellent. Oh, that's really great. So this week is um, Brain Week, so we've got you along to answer some MS brain questions. So the first question, which is quite current, is should people get the COVID vaccine? Well, the short answer is yes. Um, The longer answer is that there's no evidence and no reason to think that the COVID vaccine Uh, will be harmful to people with MS. So, for example, some people worry that a vaccine may stimulate the immune system and activate MS, but there isn't evidence that that's the case. So there's certainly much more to gain in being safe from COVID than um, any concerns like that. The second um, consideration is for people on MS treatments. Um, Is the vaccine safe in that context? And because none of the vaccines uh, is a live vaccine, then they're all safe. Um, So that's not a concern. The final and slightly more complicated consideration is, will the vaccine work if you're on an MS treatment? And um, the latest advice on that from, um, I looked at the uh, USA National MS Society, who've done a good um, Uh, piece of advice on this is that for the drugs that are funded in New Zealand uh, most of them you do not have to do anything different from anyone else uh, when considering being vaccinated so just vaccinate as normal however for two of the drugs that we have available uh, there are slight um, tweaks so for people who are about to start treatment with Gilenia uh, which is an oral treatment for MS uh, then the advice is that Ideally, you should leave a four-week gap after the second um, vaccine dose before starting the Gilenia to allow the the immune system to create the right immunity with vaccination. And then uh, for 
people um, treated with or about to start treatment with ocrelizumab or ocrevus is the other name, then that also would apply that if you aren't yet on ocrelizumab, you should leave four weeks after the second vaccine dose before starting treatment. However, it's a bit different um, for people already on treatment. Mm-hmm. If you're already on Gilenia, then vac- vaccinate as normal. Okay. Don't interrupt treatment. If you're already on ocrelizumab, then that's a drug which typically is given every six months. And the advice is ideally to wait until 12 weeks have elapsed from the last time you had ocrelizumab before having your first uh, vaccine oh, dose. Okay. And then again, don't ideally give the next dose of ocrelizumab um, for four weeks after the second vaccine dose. Now, obviously, all of this is um, potentially difficult if you're only uh, offered one vaccine date. And if that were to happen, we would probably advise people to be, it's better to be vaccinated, even if it's not according to those, uh, that advice, than not to be vaccinated. But I would hope there'll be enough flexibility in the New Zealand system that, that you will be able to work within those guidelines. Yeah, I've already got a couple of people who have already been vaccinated um, on an, on one of the infusion drugs. So that, that's basically you get the vaccine and also get the flu vaccine as you, if you normally would have it as well. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Okay. So another question that I had from, um, this is from my Central Otago people, is could you please explain the differences between primary, secondary and progressive MS? And actually, are those changes... Uh, are those definitions going to stay, do you think, or will there be a change around them? Okay, uh, so the definitions are that we tend to separate MS into relapsing remitting MS, uh, secondary progressive MS and primary progressive MS. So relapsing remitting MS um, is the most common way for people to begin with MS and it's um, as the name suggests there are relapses which are new episodes of inflammation in the nervous system causing new symptoms typically coming on over a few days or a small number of weeks which then peak at a certain point and often then improve and then in between those relapses um, the remission is a period where there's no new symptoms and no change in uh, level of impairment or disability. Secondary progressive, um, the secondary part means that this isn't the first thing that's happened. So what the first thing that's happened is that the patient would have had a relapsing remitting phase. And then um, after a period of time, which is often more than 10 years, um, they would then begin gradually to have often um, uh, problems with walking and balance. Um, and that progressive um, component is the secondary progression and seems to be largely independent of relapses so it's not due to accumulating disability from multiple relapses in fact relapses tend to become less frequent the longer someone has had MS and then the final group which is 10 to 20% of all people with MS so it's a, a minority is primary progressive where the often are no relapses and there's just a gradual worsening from onset so it often takes longer for the patient and for the medical um, community to to appreciate that someone potentially has MS with primary progressive MS. Uh, The actual progression in primary progressive MS is similar to what happens in secondary progressive MS but without the earlier relapsing remitting phase. So your second question was will we stick with these definitions or will it change? I think that I would like to see a change to looking at um, what's happening biologically um, rather than 
using a definition which um, has served well but misses some of the things that are happening. So I think we should be thinking uh, more along the lines of does someone have active MS with and is the activity relapse activity and new MRI changes or is the activity um, a, a gradual progression because that seems to have a somewhat different biological um, basis and then um, it would be good if that that sort of um, uh, thinking could affect the way people are recruited to clinical trials because um, it's going to be difficult for doctors or funding agencies to uh, fund treatments differently to the way they've been people have been recruited in clinical trials but I think there is growing evidence that you should look at uh, the biology rather than the classification system. So would that biology would that include thing, uh, like a blood test that could define if someone's got MS, but the MRI would still be needed to define which type? Um, that would be nice. At the moment, uh, despite their... I mean, it's almost like a holy grail, a, a, yeah. a sort of blood biomarker that would allow you to diagnose MS and also say how active it is at the moment. And um, there is some promise in a, a blood test for... A, a, chemical called neurofilament light which where higher levels uh, are seen in people who are more likely to do badly yeah um but it's not something that's available as a, sort of a dhb or health service test and that would apply to most parts of the world it's it's probably about to move over from being a purely research thing to something that may start to be used in clinical practice but we're not there yet it isn't something that can be used to diagnose MS on its mm. own. It's more for people with a solid diagnosis of MS. Okay. It gives you a bit of information about what's happening at the moment. Oh, okay. I just read that about... There was some research coming out of Sweden about that. That's where my question came from. Um, so you've clarified where we are with the primary, secondary and progress in relapsing MS. Um, I read an article today and it made a, a distinction between benign and aggressive, but... It doesn't sound like their air definition's changing, although air current pharmac um, requirements have recently changed to increase, which is fantastic. I'm very, very excited about that. So that's it. It's out to 6.5 on the EDSS scale. It's um, all six. It's stopping um, if if above six. Right, but that's still fantastic. It's compared to um, what it was before, which was stopping if higher than 4.0 for for most people, apart from some people who started on earlier versions. Yeah, That's that's just excellent news. Now, John, you work with a range of people with MS and other neurological disorders. Are you hopeful that there's going to be an easier path to diagnosis and for medications to be, more medications to be available in the future? Hmm... Diagnosis hasn't really changed in terms of what we do to make the diagnosis in all the time I've been a neurologist, including when I was training. So um, it's based on the story, the physical examination, um, MRI, and then sometimes um, lumbar puncture and evoked potential studies. Um, And that's what we do now and that's what we did in the early 90s when I was starting out um, we talked earlier about 
blood test biomarkers and they don't look like they're close for being mm-hmm. useful as uh, in, in making the initial diagnosis. What has changed is that the actual definition of MS has changed over the years um, where it used to be based on um, having at least two clinical attacks and uh, now it's based on having either two clinical attacks um, or having a single attack and then a change on an MRI um, showing that there was more than one uh, biological episode if not more than one um, physical episode so that's kind of changed but that doesn't make a lot of difference in New Zealand because as you're probably aware the treatments are based on um, having what's called clinically definite MS which means at least two episodes rather than having MS diagnosed by um, sort of current international criteria which is either two clinical attacks or one attack plus new changes on MRI so I don't think that I don't see much change in in how we make the diagnosis I'm I would like to think that that we will end up being able to treat people after a single attack if they have MRI markers that suggest they're at high risk of having another attack, because uh, that's what happens in many other um, countries around the world, although not all. Um, about the people who are other people who are not currently eligible for treatment, which will be people either who have not had recent. Um, Relapses, yeah. or if they've had recent relapses, don't have any new changes on MRI, then I would be surprised if there's going to be a change in the next few years in their eligibility for treatment. Mm. The other groups are people with primary progressive MS. I think it's possible that they uh, may get access to treatment, but I obviously don't know for sure, but there is evidence that ocrelizumab is somewhat effective in primary progressive MS, but not nowhere near as effective as it is in relapsing MS. And then the final group would be people with secondary progressive MS whose disability level is higher than uh, six, meaning that they're not able to walk 100 metres yeah. uh, with assistance. And um, I wouldn't expect to change in the near future, given that Pharmac has only just changed and increased the, the options for people below that level. But yeah. I think we would probably need to wait for clinical trial evidence showing evidence, uh, evidence of benefit from either new treatments or existing treatments in that patient group. Because ocrelizumab has, has proven to be quite useful in people with primary progressive but not with secondary it hasn't been trialled in secondary progressive MS. Right. So okay. um, I would be surprised if it wasn't just as effective in people with secondary progressive MS as it is in primary progressive MS, yeah. but that, that study has not been done. That's unfortunate. We're still probably, we're not likely to get that in the next probably five to ten years, anything for pe- people with secondary progressive. Often ask me if there's anything coming through know. for them. I mean, there is a drug that's used in some countries called Siponimod, which is yeah. a bit like a, it's the same class of drug as Gilenia. Yeah. Gilenia's name is Fingolimod. If drugs end in the same few letters, they're often quite similar. And that has um, evidence in a clinical trial in people with secondary progressive MS of benefit. Um, nowhere near as effective as, for example, ocrelizumab or natalizumab in relapsing MS, but nevertheless um, evidence of benefit. So I, I, it's certainly possible that that could become funded and available in New Zealand. For, second, for secondary? Yes. Oh, that's so exciting! <laughs> now, not, naturalizumab is tosabri. 
Yes. Yep. No, I, just, I get confused between the two names some of the times. Yes, at least two names. Yes, at least two <laughs> names. So that's quite positive. I mean, that's a that's a positive spin. Not for because people always say, you know, very ironically, is there a cure? And we know there's not. And I get very annoyed with um, what I refer to as snake oil salesmen who tell people this is going to fix them, this is going to cure them. Like, take this diet, it'll it'll change your MS, you'll get over it, the overcoming MS diet, which I detest the name, because I think it gives people false hope. Diet and exercise do help with, um, with your MS and with general well-being which I think is probably the bigger point with those things but I do get very frustrated with the I seem to get constant stream of information in my email about this will this will cure this will fix and quite often the particularly the medications I've been trolled on mice with a similar thing to MS but not actually on people with MS so I'm having to reassure people that in the future there may be something but currently there is not. And if it's been trolled on a mouse but hasn't been trolled on a person and not for and not for MS, then the chances are quite low that we'll actually get it eventually. I would agree with that. It's very frustrating to see a headline saying um, new new cure for MS and it's only when you reach the final um, paragraph or link to the underlying article that you find out that it was in a test tube or in a mouse, yes. which is you know, probably even if it turns out to be true 20 years away from mm. being clinically applicable. Yeah, I get I get that a lot. And I actually have other people who don't have MS emailing me saying, this could help your clients. I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> Which is very nice of them, but it's it's not a good thing. Now, stem cell therapy or AHSCT versus, versus the other option, which is men and Charles, the other one that uses your own cells um, there's some discussion around um, a HST being available in New Zealand, do you think that'll come to pass? I hope so um, so you should be careful when talking about stem cell treatment because what we're talking about is is like the bone marrow transplantation that's used for uh, you know, people with leukaemia and blood cancers so it's quite a big procedure and involves um, uh, a significant risk because the immune system is is blitzed before you put in the new um, the, the the new um, bone marrow cells, and it's been shown in studies around the world that if you choose the right patients, then it can be very safe and it can be very effective at um, stopping a- activity in people with active MS. Where it is riskier is in older people mm. with higher levels of disability, and. Um, it seems to be l- much less useful if people haven't had recent relapse or MRI activity. So it's actually targeted at the same group of people who are currently being treated with, with MS drugs in New Zealand. Uh, so it's not something that you can say, I have a, a someone who unfortunately has had MS for a long time mm. and has um, a lot of disability. Can they have um, stem cell bone marrow? transplantation because they really need it and the unfortunate answer is that it won't help them it will put them at risk but it does seem to be even more effective than our most effective drugs at people with very difficult um, relapsing relapsing MS and so where I would see it being used in New Zealand is for people who have tried all of the high efficacy um, drugs and have still had significant breakthrough activity and then you would say look 
the drugs have been used, the right drugs have been used, and they haven't worked well enough. Mm. This person is at risk despite those treatments of yeah. becoming disabled. So can we give them um, uh, stem cell transplantation? And at the moment in New Zealand, we're not set up. The no. haematology units um, are not set up to don't have the capacity to do this work but they actually do want to because they see it as important and certainly neurologists want them to and we'll be prepared to help them yeah i if anybody asks me about it i just say that it's it's under 50 and if you have relapsing would be the because i read somewhere that over 45 it's less effective so or it could have been 55 but i say well you if you're in that zone where you're over where you're over a certain age and you don't have relapsing remitting, then it's it's not of benefit to you. And the, uh, some new research has come out of the Actrim stuff recently about the um, the other stem cell theory, the meningeal one, and I don't think that's useful at all personally because a neurologist told me it wasn't useful. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going with that. You talk about mesenchymal. Mesenchymal, yeah. that's it, I can't say I've that. worked out what you mean there. Yeah. yeah, so that that there are various ones. There are some which are basically just money-making quack yeah. schemes where yes. people are given an infusion of something which is said to be some stem cells into their blood. Yeah. And in some miraculous way, this is... And that that has for many people a nice placebo effect but no don't don't spend money on that there is then also proper research on looking at whether you can um, put um, cells um, into maybe the spinal fluid which will then migrate into the brain and the damaged areas and will kind of patch up the damage that's happened right. and so far perhaps unsurprisingly that hasn't proved to be um, a useful approach it, it was worrisome that people, you know, they get all excited about these. Like I get very, I do get really upset on behalf of my clients when people say, "Oh well, you know, this is going to cure me," and people spend money on things that uh, they are quacks who are not looking out for the benefit of the person, but for the benefit of their own wallet. And it, I get really frustrated because people get quite excited with the thought of not living with whatever level of disability they're living with or potentially living with. That it's um, it, it's quite a lot of my job is is knocking back the the false ME stuff that comes through and the false hope that quite often comes with that because I mean MS is um, lifelong so and and the transitions that people go through, which you know are very hard but they're part of having that uh, this particular disease. So it's I'd rather be pragmatic with people and say, well, there is this hope, but it's in the future, so we need to get on with now. And if you can get on meds, that's great. And if you can't, well, we'll find maybe exercise or diet or um, actually even talking to someone, or maybe changing your goals and things seems to be more useful than um, saying, yes, this pie-in-the-sky stuff's going to work for you because it, it just it quite often doesn't. So you you will have seen um, some significant changes to how EMS has treated over the last few years working in New Zealand? Absolutely, yeah. So when I arrived in 2009, we had access to um, the injectable drugs, as we call them, so uh, two different kinds of beta interferon and then the third drug, clotirumorastate, which is sometimes also known as capaxone. We were talking about multiple names yeah. for drugs, and that one certainly had multiple um, ones. And they were available for people only if they'd achieved a certain amount of disability, but not too much. Oh, okay. Uh, so there was actually a lower bar as well as a high bar. It was yeah. With 
in between certain levels of disability. So if you were too good, you couldn't have treatment. Yes. And if, if you had, were unfortunately too um, affected, um, you also couldn't have treatment. And it was enormously beneficial that the last change before the recent one that happened was that that low bar was taken away mm-hmm. because it's recognised now that actually the fact that someone doesn't have any major problems is something you want to keep that way rather than allow it to happen then kind of shut the stable door at, in the, at that stage. So um, that was one change that happened and then the, perhaps the bigger change was the avail- funding availability of the newer drugs um, that we now have. So started off with um, uh, Tysabri and Gilenia and then uh, Tecfidera and then more recently um, Teriflunamide um, and um, Ocrivus. So that's that's led us from only having older drugs which are about 30% effective mm-hmm. to having a, a sort of range of newer drugs which some of which are 50 or 80% effective so that's a really big change and uh, that will be already making a difference to many people absolutely absolutely now um, John we've run out of time <laughs> that went very quickly so thank you so much for your time I'm sure it wasn't as scary as you thought it was going to be at all no you were very gentle with me thank you <laughs> That was MS Momentum for March. It's Brain Day. I expect to see most of you at the museum on Saturday. Alert level's going well. Bye. The Otago Multiple Sclerosis Society aims to empower people with multiple sclerosis and their families by providing them with information and skills to participate actively in the community in ways that are meaningful to them. MSOtago.org.nz or give us a call toll free on on 0508 MS Otago. That's 0508 676 246. Otago Society working for the people of Otago. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.